Welcome to the latest episode of On The Case, this time looking at the Supreme Court decision in First Port Property Services Limited versus Settlers Court RTM Co Limited and others. A somewhat complicated yet highly important case on the right to manage. Here to explain the dispute and the court's judgment for us in a nicely accessible manner are James Souter and Lauren Fraser, respectively partner and senior associate at Charles Russell Speechley's. Great to speak with you both again. Hi Jess, um, we're in the Supreme Court again. Um, <laughs> not quite as exciting as last time out, I'm afraid to say. Don't want to spoil the surprise, but uh, not not as emotive as as the Tate case, but uh, but a very important one for residential property law and and development. Um, What this case really gives us, Lauren's going to give the detailed um, sort of summary of it, but it's important just to say it's a real classic example of how statutory rights and property rights don't always sit happily together. Now, as property litigators, we come across this in practice, huge care and attention is taken to devising how the rights and obligations in developments of the sort that Lauren is going to describe and and, and we're focused on in this case interact and work and then we've got an increasing body of sort of statutory overlay where rights can be taken by groups of tenants and freeholds claimed and, and other things and and those two don't always work well together and I think this is a really good example of, of a case where that happens um, and I think unfortunately it's left for the courts to really fill in the gaps which is what the Supreme Court had to do here so um, yeah just hopefully helpful just to keep that in mind as we as we look at it. Absolutely and with that very uh, sort of helpful background uh, Lauren would you be able to talk us through uh, the factual history of First Port and, and the central issues that were at the heart of the case? Um, yes I will do so This um, dispute relates to the Virginia Key estate and in particular one of the blocks there called Settlers Court, um, which is the respondent in this case. Um, Now, Virginia Key is located on the north bank of the Thames, just opposite the O2 centre. was developed about 20 years ago as a residential estate of 10 blocks of flats and rows of three-storey townhouses um, and there are also forming part of the estate communal areas so access ways, gardens, grounds um, as well as a, a river wall due to location um, and these are all sort of defined known as estate facilities and they're used by all of the occupiers um, of the estate which uh, makes up 778 units. Now, the applicant in this case, First Port, is named within the leases of the flats as the management company who is responsible for the management of buildings, houses and estate facilities throughout the estate. um, And obviously, in return, is entitled to the payment of service charges from the leaseholders and freehold rent charges from the owners of the freehold houses. Now, back in November 2014, the key block at the centre of this dispute, Settlers Court, acquired the right to manage Now, Settlers Court is 76 flats, so that's about 15% um, of the residential occupiers at the estate. What has risen out of their application to acquire the right to manage is a dispute as to whether either First Port, the management company under all of the leases, or Settlers Court have the responsibility and the right to charge the lessees of Settlers Court for providing estate services these services that are shared by all of the the residents at the estate. Um, And just to give you um, an idea of the proportion, again, Settlers Court pay about 15% of the estate service charge. And what they said is that they are no longer required to contribute to First Port's estate charges um, because they've acquired the right to manage. And so 
First Port no longer has any management responsibilities under their leases. That's how they've defined the legislation. Unless, and so they 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 are requiring First Port to enter into a sort of sharing uh, agreement to share the management services um, at the estate. Um, and so this is this has led to a bit of an impasse. Um, settlers haven't paid any um, any of the estate charges um, over, over, since 2014, and, mm-hmm. and First Port are obviously pursuing this case so that they can mm-hmm. get some clarity on what should happen with the management of these estate services. Uh, understandable. So in, in the proud tradition of our of our Tate uh, podcast. Uh, I, th- I thought it might be good to ask you both uh, to, to take a side uh, in this dispute, in this dispute, and rehearse uh, some of the arguments that were raised by the parties. Who'd like to go first? I'm afraid I drew the short straw, and so I'm for the RTM company, Jess. Uh, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give it my best. Um, so I think I mean the arguments were put, and I think actually, joking aside, it it was a fairly sort of finely cut case we've got we're in the supreme court um we've got a court of appeal authority which supports uh, the rtm company and when you read the judgment it, it's not one of the longer ones it's 26 pages but we'll get to that later but it's but but you know it, it wasn't an easy job for the supreme court i think it's fair to say they had to fill in a bit of a gap as i described earlier but i i think really there were sort of four main points that i i took from it and that i would put on behalf of the rtm and i think i think the first one is the object of the 2002 act um, out of which the right to manage arises is to confer on the tenants who claim that right the right to manage not manage part manage so they claim the right to manage in relation to their block and any related management that's required of the state services should go with it that's the first point otherwise really the the situation arises where you know parliament couldn't have intended to leave those tenants still subject to the management of a third party from whom they have decided they want to take the management because one assumes they're not happy um, with with how the management's been conducted, so I think, and I think that's quite a powerful point. Um, the fact that there may be some overlap with another party as to that, that the management shouldn't prevent them from taking the right to management uh, right to manage as Parliament intends. Um, I think you know the Court of Appeal in this in Gala Unity, which is a case we'll we'll, we'll look at uh, as we go. But this is this is the authority. Um, that, that supports my case. And, and, and what it says is that if there is any difficulty or absurdities, the word absurdity was used throughout the judgment, arising from an application whereby the right to manage goes beyond just settler's court and, and covers these estate services, that should be capable of being dealt with by agreement. The 2002 Act has specific mm. provision for the parties to agree. And so that should be the Court of Appeal in uh, Gala Unity said, if they acknowledged that issues could arise, uh, and they said, but those issues can be dealt with by agreement. Um, and, and I think probably the final point I make is that if you are going to draw a line and split the management, so it's not it's not a clean right to manage in relation to all of the management functions that are required to manage the tenant's interest in the building and the estate, then where do you draw the line? You know, how far? You know, how how do you draw that line? Um, so I think I think they're probably the four the four points that I would put forward. And Lauren, what do you what do you have to say in reply to that? In reply, the 
2002 Act, properly read, um, confers on the RTM company an exclusive right to manage the relevant building, of course, um, together with any other facilities used exclusively by the tenants within that building. But it, it can't confer a right to manage estate facilities. And the reason why this interpretation has arisen is obviously going back to our, our favourite, um, Gala Unity. Um, you know, one of the real issues that arose um, in Gala Unity is that um, the definition of the premise, the premises over which the right to manage company acquires the right to manage um, is, is with or without a pertinent property. Now, in Gala Unity, the Court of Appeal included easements as part of a pertinent property. And, and this is because um, a very persuasive case relied on in Gala Unity permitted that reasoning but it was that case was a land was a case on the landlord and tenant act 1987 on appointing a manager which is a very different scheme um, with discretion allowed by the tribunal it's very different to the sort of automatic and rigorous scheme put forward um, in in the right to manage legislation um, and as a result so by focusing only on the meaning of a pertinent property um, gala unity basically lost sight of the purpose of the 2002 act as a whole which is as i was saying to confer exclusive management rights on rtm companies in relation to single buildings or parts of buildings and not the right to manage to to manage estate facilities for which apart from the reference to the potential to reach an agreement there's actually no provision um, in what is a very careful and detailed statute um, effectively the the court of appeal construction um, in gala unity of the 2002 legislation produces absurd and unworkable results which really can't have been intended and again we, we may go on to this in more detail but the, the factual um, basis behind um, this case really makes it clear how unworkable the results are because you've got one out of ten blocks um, acquiring the right to manage and basically saying that they are entitled to manage estate facilities um, which are used by nine other blocks on the, the estate um, which just leaves everyone in an impossible situation. Unless unless they can reach a happy agreement between themselves, of course. Uh, and, and that's basically what we've seen throughout our careers, James, isn't it? Just, you know, landlords and leaseholders just coming to really happy arrangements without much difficulty at all. Everybody holding hands, singing songs, all going yeah. very smoothly. I mean, that's what we do. Just <laughs> conduct the singing. <laughs> Um, so, uh, with those arguments uh, ventilated, um, and you've mentioned uh, Gala Unity, to give it its name in full, it's Gala Unity Limited versus Ariadne Road. RTM Co Limited, a very important Court of Appeal decision from, from I think, 2012. Uh, and I imagine that uh, that Court of Appeal authority was very influential on how this case was handled lower down by the uh, by the tribunals. Absolutely, Jess. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to pick that up. I mean, I as you rightly say, both the first tier tribunal and the upper tribunal in Settlers Court were bound to follow the Court of Appeal. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the leapfrogging um, separately, but um, but but they didn't really have, you know, a Court of Appeal authority carries great weight and, and, and tribunals, even the upper tribunal um, was bound to follow it. So there wasn't really an awful lot to be discussed um, down there. I think there's a couple of points about Gala Unity, um, which Probably I'll just I will air at this stage. Um, it, it was a it was a different set of um, a different set of facts. It was a a development containing two blocks, 
um, and a couple of coach houses and some parking areas in between them. And the right to manage, this was 2012, it was decided the right to manage had been acquired in relation to both blocks by the same right to manage company. Now, there's been a decision since then which tells us that that's wrong and that a right to manage company can only manage one single block. And therefore, I have to say, against the argument I put forward earlier, that the Court of Appeal in Gala Unity were, were not faced with the problem that we are faced with today because they had an estate under the management of one entity and therefore the conf conflict uh, and, and sort of shared management uh, point didn't come up. But having said that, the Court of Appeal did highlight that there could there could envisage problems of, uh, arising in the future. And, and in the way that courts sometimes do said that the parties could happily reach an agreement to resolve them, uh, which we've covered already. <clears throat> Important point, I think, just to say that Gala Unity um, involved lay representatives all the way to the Court of Appeal. So there was there were no solicitors or barristers presenting the case. And whilst that's no criticism of those who who did present it, um, it was mentioned in the Supreme Court decision in Settlers Court that, um, you know, they had the assistance of no less than five barristers and specific input from the Association of Residential Managing Agents, ARMA, which we'll talk about later. So they had a, a, a lot more to chew on, I think it's fair yeah. to say. And, and James, you mentioned that this case met the uh, uh, requirements for a, a, a somewhat unusual leapfrog appeal straight to the Supreme Court. I imagine that was because of, of this sort of binding Court of Appeal authority. Yeah, if I jump in here, um, I mean, that's exactly why um, the the ability to um, leap to issue a leapfrog certificate has been around for a little while, but this is actually the first one that the upper tribunal has issued in their history. Uh -huh. um, but obviously, you know, you can see in both of the decisions in the first tier tribunal and the upper tribunal, they felt that they were um, bound by um, Gala Unity. Um, Firstport was unable to show in the upper tribunal that there was any reason why the decision had been made per incuriam, as in in ignorance or forgetting of some binding authority or demonstrably wrong. Um, and so therefore there was very little point um, litigating this case in any other forum but the Supreme Court. Um, it would just be have been a waste of everyone's time. Um, so, so yeah, so they got leapfrogged straight there. And now, of course, we reached the, the main course. Uh, we have, uh, as uh, the first truly big case of, of 2022, we have the final decision now from the Supreme Court. And um, so what did it decide uh, and why? Uh, shall I? I'll have a go to start with. Um, go for it, James. Uh, I mean, uh, I, as I said, it's not whilst I think much of you know there's been much criticism of Gala unity over the years and and many people think this was the obvious and, and right outcome and, and I have to say I don't disagree with that but but the Supreme Court was left to grapple and, and effectively fill in fill in some holes when when you're talking about you know the court's role in um, not not um, considering statute in such a way as to give rise to an absurd outcome then you know you're at the edges of what the legislation says because you know you, you're sort of trying to find a way to make it work um i, I think really that the first point for me was that you know the act allows for an exclusive right to manage and therefore it doesn't provide for any sharing of management or any mechanism for the sharing of management other than by agreement and i think from there that this was said very early on in in the judgment in the reasoning part of the judgment and you could see with the direction of travel it's an exclusive right of management therefore it can only apply to those rights which the tenants claiming it 
can exclusively manage. So I think that that's the first point. Um, I think you know they really highlighted the great difficulties that would be faced and I think Lauren touched on them in her earlier submissions where imagine if each of the 10 blocks in this case had sought the right to manage either at the same time or different times um, and they would all then if um, Gala Unity was right have a, a lay a claim to the shared management of the estate services you'd have 10 different bodies all fighting over who's going to carry out the management of those services, and, and they're simply unworkable. And therefore, the only way to make that work is to to limit the right to manage for each one, down to the the rights that the tenants in those particular buildings exclusively can can manage. Do you have anything yeah. to add there, Lauren? Well, I was just going to add at that point that obviously in your submissions, James, you were talking about the unfairness of an RTM company having to continue to deal with um, a, a management company, which, um, you know, the RTM claim may well have been triggered by some dis dissatisfaction in management. But obviously there's an equal, the equal, if not bigger unfairness um, with the contrary interpretation, where effectively in this case, nine out of 10 blocks are going to end up having some, I mean, I, I'm not actually sure what the eventual agreement would look like, but uh, an RTM company to, over which they've got, towards which they've got no um, entitlement, uh, there's no contractual relationship, it's going to be managing some of the communal estate facilities. And so it's difficult to see what um, recourse those leaseholders would have, you know, the remaining 85% uh, residents on the estate, would they be party to the management agreement so that they could enforce against the RTM company? That seems slightly unworkable and effectively the Supreme Court called it a, a fundamental derogation from grant um, as towards um, those other leaseholders and I've, I've got a, a lot of sympathy for that view. I think I mean a couple, a couple of other points probably just to cover um, that, that featured in the judgment was that there was there was a reading of a section of the bill which preceded the 2002 Act and there was a fairly clear statement in that that the right to manage should be limited to, to the building itself and whilst the Supreme Court said that you know it was helpful that's not decisive to, to answer the question and then you know Lauren I don't know if you want to speak about Armour's involvement of which I think is, is quite interesting in that it, it, it's, it is, Gala Unity has caused such a concern and, and issue in, issues in practice of the sort that we've flagged, you know, so far that Armour intervened in the appeal um, and, and were keen to sort of just highlight the extent and nature of those problems in order that the Supreme Court could consider them um, in, in their decision. Um, I mean, so yeah, there were, I think there were two sort of main areas that that one is that um, in terms of reaching these shared management agreements, as I've alluded to earlier, there might not really be a lot of goodwill between the RTM company and the previous management, which is going to make any sort of agreement quite difficult to do, mm. um, particularly because, as I've alluded to, it quite, could be quite complicated to um, to tease out, you know, the different rights and obligations on the estate. Um, but then the second point is that RTM companies are financially precarious. The extent of their fun funding is limited to the charges that they are entitled to recover through the service charge. And when you're talking about managing big estates, um, it, it, 
it's it's not really satisfactory to have um, that kind of financially precarious company dealing with it. And, you know, they drew attention to the fact that Firstport has had to cope with the fact that they've had a 15 percent shortfall um, for the past few years. And they, they were able to do that. But many RTM companies wouldn't. And that would have a, a commensurate impact on being able to actually carry out the management of those areas. Again, without a clear solution of what happens in this situation, unless it's provided for in what's becoming an increasingly complicated uh, shared management agreement. I, th- I think just important to add there that the judgment records that the annual cost of managing the shared facilities back in 2015 was just shy of £400,000. So these are significant amounts mm. of money, which really chimes to the problem. So if we can sort of just then finally look at the implications of the decision, perhaps in, in two stages, what, what are the immediate impacts for the parties in this case? Well, I mean, in, in, in this case, it will mean that first port continues to deal with the management of those areas mm-hmm. um, which are not exclusive to settlers court so settlers court has has the right to manage in terms of the premises and any property which um, it has exclusive rights over and actually I don't think that they sort of specified that particular property in the case but I'm sure that will be I mean it does that does give rise to uh, an interesting wider question which is that are there going to be difficulties with drawing that boundary, which is sort of goes back to one of James's submissions? Um, you know, I'm sure that actually this decision is going to be quite a relief for a lot of property professionals because it um, it, it, it simplifies things. They're not required to enter into negotiations with RTM companies to reach an agreement. However, it will be interesting to see whether there are any difficulties in determining what property is managed by RTM companies and, and, and what is managed by the management companies going forwards. Um, so that will be the next thing. Um, and then I, I'm assuming that there will probably be quite a lot of freeholders and management companies who, who've entered into these agreements because they felt they had to and are now looking desperately for a way to reverse quickly because mm. actually it's really not a situation that they wanted to find themselves in um, and now they'd like to backtrack. So um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, and I, yes, and the I other imagine thing, sort of the, the, the wider thing, looking at the, the issue more widely, that the, the advice is going to obviously change as a result of this decision. Yes, exactly. And 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 the other thing is is go, going back to what we were saying is that it it means that RTM companies on these sorts of estates where there are large um, communal areas which are managed by a management company will have to continue to deal with that management company in respect of those services. It, it doesn't entirely fit happy with happily with the spirit of, of, of what um, the rights manager is supposed to do, but mm. I can't see any other practical way of, of dealing with it um, just due to the nature of these estates. And I think, you know, as we were saying, that comparing the um the setup of this estate compared to gala unity just really um emphasizes those those difficulties i think one point just to add here is that um the scale of of modern estates and the nature of them probably didn't exist in the way it does now um, when much of the legislation we're left to interpret was passed you've got the 87 act that lauren referred to you've got the 1993 act and um the reforms to uh, right to manage and collective enfranchisement, which are proposed by the Law Commission and currently being considered by Parliament, certainly the right to manage seek to deal with this such that they might extend the right to manage to a series of blocks. And, you know, whilst there could be 
you know, other concerns around that, it does seem to me that the management of an estate of this nature, it's all or nothing. It's just splitting it up inherently creates problems whichever whichever way you do it. I imagine you'll be you'll be watching with interest as, as those uh, potential reforms uh, make their way through Parliament. Indeed. Absolutely. And they seem to be they seem to be moving more more quickly than some might have expected with the recent <laughs> consultation announced. So. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we shall wait and see. Well, uh, thank you very much to you both for doing as advertised and providing a nice, uh, clear summary of the decision uh, in first port. To everyone else, uh, you have been listening to On The Case from EG.